Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. What does it mean to have faith? Faith is central to our, well, faith, but what is faith? How do we do it or experience it or feel it? And what do we do when we seem to lose it? In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright explores how Jesus' disciples first reacted to reports that he had risen and examines the faith of the disciple we now call Doubting Thomas. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Let's continue reading from John chapter 20, beginning at verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, May your Holy Spirit so richly abide with us in these moments that our minds, our ears, our hearts are open to you. May your voice be the voice that is heard. Please grant the leading of your Holy Spirit so that the words I speak are words of your truth. May they be spoken in simplicity, with grace so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. And Father, we pray that for every good thing, any good thing, that we receive and experience now, that you would be the only one to receive praise today. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. This text from the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John, the account of what happened later on that resurrection Easter Sunday morning, is a good opportunity for us to think a little bit about this issue of faith, a word that we use and is so central to the Christian proclamation uh, but sometimes we don't always explore all, all that we mean when we use the word faith. What, and, and 
I would just have us to think a little bit about what really is that substance of, of faith? What does it mean to say that we are people of faith? And I think Thomas gives us a good opportunity to look in a personal way about someone who went through his own struggle of coming to a place of faith. When I picture going to heaven, there are some things that I generally picture that will happen once I get there. And when I, when I share these things, please don't think that I'm sharing with you some kind of factual, doctrinal uh, truth. It's just kind of the way that I picture things that probably ought to play out, even if they don't really. And, but one of those things is that I, I, I see once I get there that there will be some people there to whom I will have to go and apologize for the for the way I condescended to them while I was journeying through life here. Uh, Peter will probably be the first one in line expecting me to apologize for all the ways I've been critical of his behavior while he was traveling with Jesus. But I figure Thomas will be there in line also, expecting somewhat of an apology for the way we've looked upon him. I mean, after all, we know him as what? Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have, you know, how would you like that nickname to stick with you? you fill in your name, Doubting Christy, you know, you know, Doubting David, Doubting you fill in your name. I mean, is that the way you want people to know you? And obviously, this text is the one, I mean, this, this is where we get that. But is, is that really, I mean, is that really what is due to him? I, I don't think so. Yes, obviously, there, we, we, we have the text. But remember this, and I've shared this before, that, um, the other disciples were the same way. Uh, Mary Magdalene had gone and, and told the rest of the disciples that she had seen the Lord and they didn't believe her. I know it was a woman. But they still should have believed her. The, the two disciples who were traveling out through the country, Mark tells us, they went and said that they had seen the Lord. They didn't believe them. Jesus had appeared to the eleven without Thomas among them. It was only after that that they seemed to all believe. So Thomas really wasn't expecting any more than what everybody else had already gotten. It's not like he was guilty of some kind of thing that was unusual. He just, he had a struggle. And I think we, we to, to do Thomas justice, we should go back to what we shared last week, that, that this Easter faith must have been incredibly difficult. And, and I say that because these, these, this circle of friends who were so close to Jesus were just that. They were so close to him, and, and they had become so involved with him, and, and their hopes for the future were so tied up with him, 
and and the the events of of Friday of that week were were so uh, so intense and so gruesome and so heartbreaking, and they had observed all of this. It was traumatic. So faith would have been incredibly hard. But this is exactly the kind of thing that God expects of his people. To believe even in the difficulty. We live in a culture today that is it's kind of ironic in a way. In, in one sense, uh, we live in a culture that it, it seems like they'll believe anything, regardless of how illogical it might be. But then on the other hand, we live in a culture that seems to not want to believe anything, regardless of how much evidence there is for it. And there are plenty of reasons for that. So when we talk about faith, we are talking about something that is based upon something that, that there's something there, there's evidence, but yet without proof. And how many times today do we say, I just want you to prove it to me. Just prove it to me. Just prove it to me. It, it's, it's kind of interesting if you look back at Jesus' ministry, and you'll remember this. Um, Jerry, Don, and I were talking about this, you know, just no more than a few days ago, that Jesus was a person who provided so much evidence for who he was in his relationship with God. John, as a gospel writer, testifies to this very powerfully because he calls the things that Jesus did signs. It's not like the rest of the gospel writers where he, he just calls them miracles. John actually says they're signs, turning water into wine, feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of bread, raising Lazarus from the dead. He calls them signs. In, in, in the text we read, he, he says it in verse 30, many other signs Jesus did in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book. But these were given so that you would believe, or you could actually use the phrase, so that you could have faith. There were signs that Jesus did given to us as evidence of who he was. But yet also, Jesus was so critical of those who were always demanding signs. In fact, he said, it is an evil and adulterous generation that demands signs. It's interesting, isn't it? Someone who brought signs to us was also very critical of those who were continually given to demanding proof. So then we visit the question again, well, what exactly is faith? Well, one of the greatest definitions in Scripture comes out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. How many times have you read it? That faith is, now it depends on what translation of the Bible you use. New American Standard says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. King James would say it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. 
both wordings are powerful. NIV, NRSV will have some that vary a little bit, but the, the meaning comes across the same all the time. I want you to think for a moment about what the writer is conveying to us there about this issue of faith. It is, first of all, the assurance of things hoped for, which means it looks what direction? Forward, right? Not, not in the present, it looks forward. So faith has a forward look to it. And that's why faith and hope are two concepts that are very closely married to each other. Because hope looks forward, and therefore faith also has a forward-looking aspect to it. It is the assurance of that for which we hope, and the conviction of that which we cannot, what? See. All right? In our human condition, we are so given to prove it. Put it in my hand, let me touch it, let me see it. Otherwise, I will not believe it. God says, that's not quite the way it works. Faith is being just as sure of that which you can't quite always put your hand on. But it's not that there's no evidence. There's plenty of evidence. It's just that you can't always put your hand on it. You see, so there's this element that, that faith is not just wishful thinking, which would, you know... Wishful thinking might be me saying something like, and I'll just use the sports analogy, uh, to say that I have faith that the Texas Rangers are going to win the World Series this year. Did somebody out there say good luck? I mean, that I can have faith that the Rangers are going to win the World Series, but your response might be, well, I don't know what you're basing it on. What's that? Empirical debt. Empirical debt. <laughs> you know, I mean, you see, you can hope for things without a lot of evidence behind it, but that's not the Christian faith. Because Jesus has provided for us adequate evidence for the faith we have. So faith calls us to look beyond what can be proved, forward to that which we expect with assurance to happen because it is of God. And yes, this comes back around to Thomas. We so often talk about faith as if it is just confessional. And what I mean by that is when we talk about faith, we... we too easily boil it down to only something that we, we say out loud. We, we have given mental assent to something. So, uh, and you could use Romans 10.9 as an example, right? Paul writes in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Is that true? Of course it is. Of course it is. But we have to use caution when we when we narrow things down to a little, uh, when a, to a verse or to a saying, because it's, it then can exclude other things that we expect to be a part of that. And if, if, if that's all we think that faith is, then it's real easy to say, well, are, you know, I could ask you, are you a person of faith? Do you have Christian faith? And you could say, well, yes, because I remember when I was a teenager that I stood up and I, 
I said in front of the church that I believe that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, and I, I said the right prayer. And so I gave mental assent to some kind of truth, and therefore that's the extent of faith, right? But that's not the extent of faith. I mean, that's, that's the confessional side of faith, but that's not all that faith is expected to be. Faith is expected to be something that is a, a dynamic relationship that changes us, putting us in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, in which we move forward with God in his redemptive work. Think for a moment about what, what Thomas seemed to be focused on. Okay? When his friends told Thomas that they had seen Jesus, what was his response? Unless I see what? The wounds. The wounds. The nail prints. If I can't see them, if I can't touch them, the, the, the prints in his hand, the, the wound in his side. Why is it that Thomas seemed to be so focused on the wounds. Now, now please, hear me say this. I, I want to be modest and, and not tell you that I somehow have insight into something that I absolutely know is true, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to communicate this on that level. What I'm inviting you to do is to just think with me for a moment, okay? Because the scriptures should invite us to do that. To, to think, to, to wonder, to ponder uh, why the narrative is given to us as it is. And so I've been reflecting this week about Thomas and why it was that, why it was that, that he seemed to be focused on the wounds. I mean, he could have said, uh, unless I can look into those eyes once again, you know, those eyes that always seem to be able to peer into the deepest parts of my soul. Unless I can look into those eyes once again, I will not believe. Or unless I can hear that voice, that voice that I have listened to so many times teach the powerful truths of God. If I could hear his voice once again, then I would believe. But Thomas didn't do any of that. It was, I want to see the wounds. Now hear me. I'm not telling you that I know with absolute certainty that this is true. But I wonder if there wasn't something about those wounds that seemed to be the most powerful thing about the presence of Jesus. Because it was those wounds that brought Thomas's hopes in Christ to a dead end. It was that nailing to the cross, the spear in his side, it was that death that, that brought everything crashing down. And it's almost like Thomas was saying, unless you can show me that, that his death, his punishment, his suffering, if, if somehow you can't show me that God has taken that and turned it around and redeemed it, I'm not going to be able to see how he's living. 
how, how somehow I should have faith in this. And you see, the reality is we all have the same kinds of wounds. You and I travel in this life as wounded people. Life has left us with scars. Life has at times been brutal to us. We have suffered um, circumstances that we wish could have been different. We have ten had people who have uh, left us hurting. We have made our own mistakes and been left to, um, to, to shake all of that off and to, and to travel through life with, uh, with those scars that seem to follow us around. We have the same kinds of wounds. And it, and it just kind of seems to me like Thomas is saying, no, I, you, you have to show me that my wounded Jesus is alive. And so what is the very thing that Jesus does for him? A week later, he shows up, and he looks Thomas right in the eye, and he says, here, I want you to see the print in my hand. You see, the wound is still there. The wound in my side, reach out, touch it if you want. It's real. It's real. And so you can know that the worst, the worst thing that the human condition could throw at God was not enough to keep God's plan down. It's not as if it never happened. It is exactly as if it happened and God turned it around. God claimed it and God has redeemed it. And God has used the worst that human, humanity could do and made it part of his redemptive plan. And that is a powerful, personal message to people like you and me. Because we also need to know that God comes to us in our brokenness, in our woundedness, and says, I will use you as part of my redemptive plan also. You see, the great message about Easter is not just that Christ rose from the dead. It is, as, the, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ is risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who sleep. So that those who are in Christ also have the power of resurrection that does and will work in us as well. It's not just about his victory over death. It's about our victory over death. And it's not just about God's redemptive work through Christ. It's about God's redemptive work through Christ that extends also to the people of his church. Because he now uses not only Christ, but you and me in the work that he does in redeeming creation. That's why Jesus came to them. I've said to you before that every, all four of our gospel accounts have commissioning passages 
in them. We talk about Matthew 28 being the Great Commission. Have you ever heard that? What, what's the Great Commission? You turn to Matthew 28 and go for, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Right? You've heard that? Okay. All four Gospels have commissioning passages. John's, verse 21, very succinctly, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You hear the relationship? Jesus says to his disciples, just as God sent me with a purpose for his grand redemption, so also now I am sending you. The purpose stays the same. It doesn't mean we have to bear the cross of Christ, not like Christ bore it. We don't have to carry his cross. We just have to carry ours. And as God sent him for his grand redemptive purpose, so also Christ sends us for the same redemptive purpose. And so you see, we now have meaning because we are part of that great plan. Our wounds, our pains, our sorrows, God takes it all and he uses it. And you see, I think that's so important for us to remember because in our mentality, when we face those times in our life and we say, you know, I, what am I supposed to do with that pain? What am I supposed to do with that loss? What am I supposed to do with these circumstances that I, I sure wish could have worked out some, somewhat different? When the, my friends have hurt me, when life has dealt me a bad hand, what do I do with all this? Well, what does Easter teach you? It is the fact that God redeems our wounds. And the story stays the same. C.S. Lewis once wrote that the miracles of Christ are um, a retelling, and this is how he said it, that the miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. It's a really interesting way of saying, look, you know, that, that from time to time, God has, has offered miracles so that we know in a tangible way the large story of what he's been writing all along. God is acting. God is redeeming. God is moving. And it can be that that story sometimes is too large for us to see. It's just too grand. But in his miracles, we can catch a glimpse. And in the story of Easter, we catch the best glimpse that God is redeeming the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And what are we called to do? Have faith in that. You and I showed up here today. Why? Well, you might have a lot of answers to that question, right? Teenagers might say, because my mom made me come. Um, some of us might say, well, I like to see my friends. 
That's good. There are a lot of reasons we might come. But I would hope that central among them would be because I know that through Jesus Christ, God has made me part of a great redemptive body called the church. And I believe because of Easter that he is still using that redemptive body for his glorious purpose in the world. And I don't want to miss what God is doing. That's why we're here. That's why we will continue to be here. So in our brokenness, in our hurts, in our sorrows, in our fears, in our uncertainties, we bring them because we trust that God uses them. And he will continue to do so as long as we offer them to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, Thomas. God, for his honesty, for his, for his struggle. And Lord, the reality that so often we can be just like him. But I'm thankful, God, that Jesus was willing to show up and with a gentle word say, Thomas, I want you to see. But I also want you to know that it's even a greater thing to believe without demanding proof. Father, I know that sometimes you, you use those rare instances where you show up in some powerful way in our lives. You warm our hearts and you remind us that you're walking with us but on most days, God, you call us to be people of faith, trusting you, trusting, Lord, that you're still working, even if you've not given us a sign for that day. So, Lord, increase our faith. Help us when our faith becomes weak. Help us when our love for you becomes cold. Help us to trust you even when our sight seems to be faint. Because we want God to be part of what you continue to do. To be part of a body that you are using to redeem this world. We praise you for it. We do it in the precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.